Welcome to the 111 Health Podcast, the ultimate holistic wellness and spirituality destination, where the ancient meets the modern, the scientific meets the spiritual, the esoteric meets the worldly, and the conscious meets the commercial. I'm your host, Cassandra, the founder of 111 Health. I'm joined by our co-founder, Dylan, Ayurvedic practitioner and holistic health educator. We've spent the past decade diving deep into all the ways one can access calm and bliss amidst the chaos of our busy and demanding lives. And together, we're here to take you on a transformative journey through unlocking the ancient secrets of those that came before us and had it all figured out. Explore thought-provoking conversations with world-leading experts revolutionizing human consciousness. Discover practical information, tools, and practices that empower you to cultivate lasting well-being in every aspect of your life. Become part of a community committed to embracing holistic health, unlocking your true potential, and experiencing a more vibrant and blissful existence. Today I chat to Jesse Israel, a meditation leader, keynote speaker, and leadership coach, who's the founder of The Big Quiet, a mass meditation movement. Recognized as the meditation expert by the New York Times, Jesse has led some of the largest meditations globally, touring arenas with Oprah Winfrey and co-hosting international broadcasts with Deepak Chopra. An Audible Originals best-selling creator and a Forbes Next 1000 recipient, Jessie collaborates on meditation projects with Grammy-winning artists and coaches influential entrepreneurs. Formerly running the tech fund and record label Cantora, where he signed multi-platinum bands like MGMT, Jessie's expertise spans the realms of mindfulness, technology and entertainment. On tour with Oprah, Jesse spoke at and led mass meditations in sold-out arenas. His collaboration with Deepak Chopra resulted in a global meditation with 150,000-plus participants. His speaking and meditation clients include some of the world's largest companies, including Google, Twitter, American Express, Spotify, and Adidas. As the founder and host of The Big Quiet, Jesse has created a movement that gathers millions for mass meditations in iconic locations worldwide. Jesse Israel is not just a meditation leader, he's a visionary shaping the landscape of mindfulness and well-being on a global scale. In this episode, we chat about Jesse's personal evolution journey and how The Big Quiet came about, how he went from panic attacks to living in alignment in every area of his life and leading a global movement, the powerful effect of group meditation, why meditation and community are powerful tools for supporting our nervous systems, the sometimes bumpy phases of the meditation journey, living in alignment, and some golden nuggets of wisdom that he uses in his private coaching, marrying the conscious with the commercial, and so much more. This episode is for anyone seeking inspiration, connection, and community, and as Jesse would say, to turn up their inner wattage. Let's dive in. Welcome to the podcast, Jesse, and it's so, so good to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited for the convo. Me too. And before we dive into so many questions I want to ask you, I'd love if you could just give us a background of, you know, I guess, how can one summarize one's whole life in a few sentences, but this amazing journey you've been on to now do what you do and live your passion and how the big quiet came about. Mm, yeah. So quick backstory, grew up in Los Angeles went to Manhattan, moved to New York when I was 18 to go to New York University. And when I was a sophomore there at NYU, my roommate introduced me to a band that his cousin was friends with, also a college band, um, and played me an MP3 of one of their songs. Band's called MGMT. The song was called Kids. They had just made this song for a class, um, uh, a music class uh, at their school. We heard it, we were like, wow, this is incredible. We had no idea what the hell we were doing. We were, you know, 20 years old, but we approached the band 
and said, hey, let's let's create a record label and get your guys' music out to the world. Uh, a couple years later, the song Kids was kind of a global sensation. It was a big hit. And it led to us going on this great journey of 10 years of running a record label. Um, for about the second half of that 10-year journey, we also had a technology fund where we were investing in startups and helping those startups navigate the music space. And, you know, only a couple years into my music industry journey, I started to experience panic attacks and was dealing with pretty debilitating anxiety. It was when I was around 23, 24, when it really first started to kick in. And it was confusing because we had this really kind of cool, sexy company that was growing this, you know, this music thing with this great big band. So I didn't understand why my internal world was so uh, you know, why there was so much pain in my internal world when my external world had all this cool stuff going on. That's, I think, when I first realized that oftentimes those two things are not connected. <laughs> so mm. for me, I, um, I found meditation as a way to help me move through some of that internal discomfort that I was experiencing. At that stage in my life, I didn't feel comfortable talking about the, the discomfort and the panic attacks and just how painfully in my head I was. Uh, meditation felt like a great way to move through it because at the time it was a private practice and I could just kind of do my thing and get some ease from it. And it really, it really helped me tremendously, especially when I le learned Vedic meditation. And it became this really big part of, of my life and my work. And I would be at music festivals backstage, we'd be doing our thing. Um, you know, our work, our partying in the industry. And I would peel off and I would, you know, go sit for 20 minutes and meditate. And I'd come back with refreshed energy, you know, ready to take on the night. And it became this like secret weapon for me to be able to, you know, show up in a healthy way, you know, in, in a way where I was able to be energized and present um, and have fun and, you know, do my work. And people started to ask me about it. You know, people in the music industry would ask me what I was doing when I would close my eyes. And other people started to join me at these little festival meditations, you know, we'd be behind the scenes, you know, five, six of us getting quiet together when there was just total chaos and loud noise all around us, seven stages, blasting music, drunk people everywhere. And we would have these moments of stillness. And it was really potent. It was in those little mini meditation meetup moments at festivals where after we meditate, we would talk about what was going on. And I learned that other people in the industry were going through the same things I was going through, you know, from a mental health standpoint, just nobody was talking about it. Nobody was slowing down to communicate these things to each other. So it was really validating to hear that I wasn't alone in that journey. And through these group meditations, I started to get this, this idea of, well, what if there was a way to meditate with, you know, the amount of people that we see here at a festival, but instead of, um, you know, everybody at the main stage raging to music, which I loved, um, we could all be at the main stage meditating together. You know, how powerful would that be? And little did I know that, you know, in the coming years, <laughs> I would go on to leave the record label that I had started and, and was running with my partners, um, they took it over and I kind of opened myself up into what was next. And I learned a lot about popular culture and breaking bands and throwing concerts. So I just started thinking about how can I take what I learned from my time in the music industry and apply it to meditation and gathering people to practice together and talk together about real stuff. Started running experiments. The first one was 20 people at my buddy's apartment in, uh, in Nolita in downtown Manhattan. And each month we'd meet up to meditate and, and have conversations and each month more people would show up. And by the fifth or sixth month, you know, people were just squeezing into my buddy's, into my buddy's place. And I realized, wow, like there's a real need that's being addressed, you know, modern active people who are hungry to not only slow down and be quiet together, but also talk honestly about what was going on in their lives. And to do it, you know, outside of a yoga studio or, you know, out, outside of a religious context or a certain lineage of meditation, but just, you know, as young, active people. So we formed the Big Quiet as a way to take those values and really share it at the time with the city of New York. We did our first one at the Central Park 
main stage, which was so cool. It's this venue I always really looked up to. And we got to do our first big quiet right there. We were able to do a partnership with the, with the City Parks Foundation and had our first big quiet. You know, it was open to thousands of people from the five boroughs of New York. We got to come together and share silence. The musicians that performed were musicians that, you know, the, the same kind of bands we would see at Coachella. But here they were performing after a mass meditation. So it was this really cool way to blend that previous work and this new interest together. And um, that's how The Big Quiet was born. I just love your story. It's, I can feel it in my body. It's so inspiring. It's just, it's wonderful. You've taken everything that you have learned and done your life and then done this beautiful, unique blend. And then obviously people are really resonating, right? I mean, what's like the biggest group meditation you've done? The largest meditation that I've led in person was 17,000 people in in the, in the um, American airlines arena in um, Houston, that was on the Oprah tour, but virtually we've done meditations that have reached hundreds of thousands of people at one time. Wow. And you know, I'd really love to talk more about meditation. Um, you know, I can absolutely resonate with Vedic meditation being so incredibly potent and life-changing. And particularly in a group, I've noticed I've, I haven't, I would love to come to the next one and meditate in a group that large, but I've noticed every group meditation, it's like the effects are amplified and it just feels incredible. And it reminds me of this, um, this, concept uh, coined the Maharishi effect, which we know about. Can we talk a bit more about that and how that works and the phenomenon of meditating in a group? Yeah, there's the scientific piece. There's some interesting science out there on the Maharishi effect. Um, TM is is behind a lot of that, that science. I'll speak to that in a second. And then there's just the feeling there's a different sort of it's 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 i think more challenging to to speak about through the lens of science it's more of something that i feel and i hear people constantly feel that occurs in group meditation with the science you know with a handful of studies that were done again tm led a bunch of those studies what was being shown was that having a relatively small percentage of people in a certain city or town meditating together on a daily basis can have a really significant change on that city or on that town's culture. We've seen crime rates go down. Um, We've seen really interesting changes in regards to how humans interact based on a small group of people sharing in meditation on a regular basis. I've always thought that that stuff like it kind of sounds wild to think that such a small group could have that type of an impact. But it wasn't until we started doing group meditations and and I was able to feel how it changed as the big quiet grew, where I became more convinced that, that this made sense. You know, that if a significant amount of people are connecting at that plane together and also just doing that work to replenish the system of stress, and have that deeper connection to the self and allowing those emotions to be felt. And then that group goes out into their city or town and brings that slightly heightened consciousness to the world around them. It's going to have a, it's going to have an impact. What I saw was that when we were, when, when, when we started doing mass meditation through the big quiet that were reaching thousands of people, actually let me back up. When we started doing them with 20, 30, 40 people in my buddy's apartment, you could feel it. There was something that was different than meditating by ourselves. People would often report that they would go deeper. They felt you know, more comfortable. There was like a warmth or a light or an energy. And I just watched that feeling and that response grow the more the big quiet grew. So when we were doing arena tours with, when we did our arena tour with Oprah and we, and, and we were guiding meditations, in these enclosed spaces of, you know, 15 to 17,000 people, that was a whole other level. It, it was so potent, the, 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 the practice of just being still and being in meditation with that many people, it was, you could almost hear the silence. Like you could almost feel the vibrating of that many bodies. 
with, you know, in that, in that shared intention. And, um, there was something really interesting that was happening on the Oprah tour in particular. And I've seen this at a lot of our events where people, you know, we invite people to feel whatever emotions are coming up while they're in the practice. And what we'll see is, you know, one person will start to cry and, you know, allow some emotions to flow. And then someone else in the meditation will hear that someone's crying and they then realize it's okay for them to feel their emotions and they'll cry. And then, you know, in a relatively short period of time, there's a handful of people who are releasing emotions in what I, what I feel is a really healthy way. It's, it's to be able to be with and release emotions in community. And I think that that has such an, an incredibly profound impact on society as well when we're able to, you know, do the work to resolve whatever's going on inside ourselves in community. So there's a lot of layers to it, but um, I think more than anything, it's just a feeling. Wow, that is so healing. I got goosebumps when you were talking about that. Oh, it's just picturing being there. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine 17,000 people. Wow, it's it's so profound. And can we speak a bit more to, I think what I love about what you do is this hybrid between meditation and community and both of those things are so, so nourishing, supportive for our nervous system. So, can, yeah, can you speak a bit more to exactly how both of those things really do support our nervous system? Yeah, I love that reflection. And I, I have felt for a long time now that that blend of doing internal work like meditation paired with external work like being in community like those two things together, the self and the social, when they come together, ooh, it's so it's so powerful. It creates such a, a strong foundation for us to really contribute to the world, for us to really access our inner power, you know, for us to really impact um, and feel good while doing that. You know, the benefits of meditation are pretty clear at this point, right? There's so much science around the stress release that occurs and the repair that occurs within the body from cells and tissues that have been damaged by stress over the years. So it's, it's part that it's healing stress and part that it's allowing us to be able to take on more of the stressors that come our way. Plus all of the enhancements that occur in our physiology, the strengthening of our immune systems, you know, the way that the brain changes, thickens, lights up, the enhancement of the prefrontal cortex, which is like the CEO of the brain and body, just everything becomes so heightened through practice. So, Yes, that is going to help us in a really meaningful way feel better in the world, feel better in our bodies, feel better in our minds. Um, community is so valuable because, you know, my belief is it's the thing that we ultimately want most. You know, it's, it's human connection. It's the thing that we crave most. We are so wired and designed to be in tribe. It's how we existed on this earth for the great majority of our existence as the human species. It's only been, you know, 10, 12,000 years since the agricultural revolution, revolution when everybody lived in tribes. And now it's much rarer to live in tribes, but, you know, 10, 12,000 years plus for hundred thousands, arguably million plus years, we lived in tribes. So we've always known life in community. We've always known that, and we're wired for this to survive in the world. We need to be a part of a group and we need to contribute to the group. We need to be of use. You know, when we lived in tribes, individuals that did not contribute to the group oftentimes would get kicked out. And if you got kicked out of a tribe, that would mean you're likely a goner. So we are wired to be in community and we are wired to have a sense of purpose in community, to feel useful, to feel like we can contribute. So, Today, this, I mean, this is very obvious, you know, living in 2023, our, our bodies know that this is this thing that we're wired for and that we yearn for, but it's becoming increasingly more challenging to find that. You know, I think religion helped connect that for many people. Um, I know for, you know, our generation as millennials, we're the first generation that really started to, we started to see a shift in um, becoming unaffiliated with religion. You know, the last stat that I saw was that 78% of millennials don't affiliate with religion. So this thing that became 
connective glue for community for a lot of people um, is is increasingly becoming less the case. So, you know, where do people go today to, to have that? Um, in this, you know, pandemic, post-pandemic era, it's even more disjointed because we had a couple of years that created an, a new normal of being in our homes and connecting with video screens instead of in person. I think for a lot of us, you know, we we feel like social media and technology is a way to get that connection, but it's so fleeting, you know, it's so ephemeral. The connection, it just doesn't last through that. And I think what it, what, you know, what it, what it does and research is pointing to this is the more social, the more digitally connected we are, the more lonely we're becoming. So there's this, this real hunger for how can we have that sense of community? How, how can we gather? Because our bodies and our minds want it so badly. So for me, when I was able to understand how much meditation was helping me and feeling quite lonely living in New York, when the idea kind of came through me to bring meditation and community together, and I wasn't the first to do it, but when it came through me to, to start to organize that, it felt like such a win because it was two things that people were really, really hungry for, especially in a place like New York City. And then when we started touring the big quiet, and bringing it to other places, I think part of why it grew so fast and why it was so welcomed was because of what you said. Meditation and community are both so... Uh, nourishing to the nervous system and people are just so hungry for that yeah and you know god knows we need it right i mean there's there's so much going on each of our individual lives has its own story and its twists and turns and then we have this global experience as well so going back yes. to yeah and you know there's there's a lot with that and going back to where this all started and and what has been the tool that's really helped a lot of us particularly today navigate these challenges meditation you know there's two parts really to the journey right there's first of all there's what gets people to get into it or what are the barriers that stop them actually taking that first step to learning to meditate or just simply starting any type of practice and then there's the whole journey that happens when you start to meditate because for me it was like going oh yeah this is really going to help with my anxiety a lot of, a lot of the time stress and anxiety leads us to it it's a common story and then when I learned to meditate I will never forget my first experience it felt like someone was massaging my brain I was like what is this is this drugs um and then it was like I opened this door that I didn't even know existed and then the rest was history and my whole life changed. I'd really love to hear your story about the twists and turns and discoveries of the meditation journey for anyone that's you know at the start of their journey or they're looking to get started with meditation you know what are they in for what are the hidden gifts that lie behind taking that first step? Oh, I love this question. I mean, it's so cool to hear you share a little bit about your journey with, with it and how it first felt. Yeah, I've, I've seen, there's a couple of really interesting layers that, that stand out from my personal experience, but that I also see with people that I teach meditation to or with people that I coach and, and you know, continue to be a part of their lives and see how the practice evolves. Um, for them. And, you know, what I, what I often see is that it tends to start with stress reduction, right? It's like you mentioned, you were drawn to it as support for anxiety and for helping bring down stress. That was my case too. I mean, that's commonly the case. And we see a lot of benefit around that at the start, right? The nervous system starts to rebalance, stress starts to get released from the system. We start sleeping better. Our physiology starts to op operate more optimally. We start to notice that we're not as stressed, we're not as triggered by things that once used to really get us. So we start to become more thoughtfully responsive instead of stressfully reactive, right? And that change feels good, but it's also noticeable. People ask us, wow, you seem different, what's going on? It's actually a great way to get other people into meditation once they ask us about it first. <laughs> um, so it starts with a lot of that, okay, just bringing balance back to the nervous system, starting to feel like ourselves again. Then what I often see is the case, after a year, a few years of that rebalancing, the next layer is alignment around 
how we spend our time, what we give ourselves to, alignment around relationships in our lives. So for me, what that started to look like was certain friendships stopped feeling like they were as much, uh, there was as much alignment. Um, certain romantic, you know, partnerships, it really it changed how I looked at dating and connecting. The big one for me was with work. You know, I started to notice after a few years, maybe four, four or five years into, into meditating regularly, it started to become so clear that the thing that I was doing for work, I sort of reached my max growth on it. And I was getting this deep intuitive pull to take a leap to do something new, which ultimately led to work around the meditation and you know, how the big quiet was born, like I mentioned. But the more I meditated, the stronger that voice became, the stronger that intuitive pull was to say, you're ready for the next thing. It's time to take that leap. I don't know if I would have felt that calling, if I would have had the courage to have followed that calling if I wasn't meditating, honestly. You know, I think that my anxiety probably would have kept me in that safer space. Um, so yeah, I really think that my meditation practice, it not only helped me experience less anxiety, but it also allowed me to align more with my purpose and to give myself more to my earthborn gifts that I was honestly afraid to give. I always felt really called to public speaking. I always felt called to building community. Um, it was very much in me as a young person. I got in a lot of trouble when I was little for being expressive, for leading, for rallying students against teachers. <laughs> and I, I got in a lot of trouble and I shut a lot of that down inside of me because it felt wrong. It felt like it was dangerous to do that because getting in trouble meant getting grounded or getting expelled from school. So, you know, as an adult, I, I had that same passion for things like public speaking and gathering people, but it felt too unsafe and anxiety and stress said, you can't do those things. So I avoided them. Meditation allowed me to excavate that. It, it, it really played a role in helping me uh, start to look at how I could start to face those things that were so scary, but also so true to who I was and how I express in the world. So meditation helped move me more into my power and allowed me to take that leap into leaving my company and to start public speaking and to start organizing community and building, bringing people together and the big quiet was born. And right now these are really critical pieces of my vocation, my work, uh, how I impact people, how I express myself, how I make a living. <laughs> so, um, you know, to go back to your, your original question around this part one, right? Getting the nervous system aligned, that feels really good. You know, it, it feels really comfortable to be able to sleep better and have our bodies operate stronger experience less stress. Part two can be really uncomfortable, you know, <laughs> being faced with those feelings of leaving a career after nine or 10 years or leaving a relationship that no longer feels aligned. That can be really scary. It can be really uncomfortable. And, you know, to anyone who can, anyone that's listening that might be able to write, you know, relate to any of this stuff, I say, you know, take your time with it, move slowly with it. Um, I think that sometimes if we push too hard on these things, it, it, it can just create you know, more stress and intensity. But if we can cultivate and listen to what's starting to bubble up inside of us, the more we meditate, I think the stronger we're able to connect with that and, and find the courage to face that stuff. Great. Um, but yeah, you know, people often think meditation, it's just like, oh, it's great. You know, you feel better and you're less stressed, you look healthier and it's true. But why? You know, it's true for so many things in wellness. Why? Are we, are we doing these practices, eating these foods, you know, taking care of ourselves in these ways? Is it just so that we can feel better? Is it just so that we can, you know, look younger and, you know, experience less ailment? That's part of it. I think for a lot of people, wellness ends there. Wellness is just about how to feel as best as possible. But what I've grown to learn and see is the reason why we practice these things to allow ourselves to feel optimal is so that once we feel optimal, we are so much clearer about how we can give ourselves to the world to, to serve the, the most pressing needs of the time. 
so that we can have a contribution, right? So that we can make our unique earthborn contribution so we can have that impact. So going back to what we talked about with tribes, so we can be of use, so we can serve that purpose. And in doing so, God, nothing feels better. It's so alive and it's, it feels so great to be in our power and express it. And that's why I think meditation is ultimately so important. <laughs> there have been periods in my career where I get frustrated with how, how the wellness industry can feel because it can just feel like it's only about you know, self-care and looking good. And I love that stuff too, don't get me wrong, but there's so much more to it when it comes to personal power and, and, and impact in the world. Oh, I love that story. And I really thank you for sharing that because it's it's definitely, I can relate to that experience, that first half being like, well, this is great. I feel good. And then you're comfortable. And then suddenly you get really uncomfortable because your whole life is about to change. And then you take this giant leap in kind of every area, right? And then you go, well, wow, this is actually really living. You know, was I sleepwalking before? I wasn't living my authentic self. I wasn't being in alignment, as you so beautifully say. And then it's where we're drawn into this whole new way of living, which is actually about service and about giving our gifts. And that's, you know, that feels deeply deeply comfortable in that sense because you're actually being you and you're doing what you're meant to be doing whereas there's this sort of now I look back there was this like low grade level of dissatisfaction that I couldn't quite put my finger on and then it's like you pull out a plug and then you're like oh wow the light bulb's on um but I've got to kind of reorganize a few things in my life that are no longer sustainable but I love how you put it though which is that you know I've reached maximum growth so I love how you um, describe these things as coming to an end as they were really relevant at the time they were meant to happen they were made for us yeah they were a part of our story but then they're no longer simply no longer relevant so I love how you describe that oh thanks for reflecting that I love what you said about dissatisfaction. I, I love that you bring this up because satisfaction is, is such, it's something that I don't think we talk about enough. Satisfaction is available to us in, in so many ways. Same with feeling energized, with feeling alive and thinking about how through our work, through our relationships, we can feel that satisfaction. We can feel that fulfillment, gratification, aliveness, right? Whatever the language is, energy, and when we are feeling that, it's a signal that this is the way. <laughs> so, you know, having that be, having this be, be part of, of the conversation. How does it feel when we give ourselves to something with work, when we give ourselves to something, friendships and certain relationships? And how do we, not, not, not that we need 100% to be in a place of satisfaction or feeling energized, but how do we make sure that we're prioritizing that the majority of what we're giving ourselves to within our work and within our relationships is feeling fulfilling, is feeling energizing because there's so much of nature's intelligence moving through us when we feel that and when we give ourselves the permission to prioritize that. I love it. And, you know, is are these some of the themes that you discuss with your coaching clients? Because I, I know that you work with some really incredible leaders and people by the way I know you work with Common I'm such a big Common fan I was like wow that's amazing <laughs> um with your coaching method is this something you use or can you talk a bit speak a bit to that yeah yeah absolutely yeah there is there's a great organization that um, I did some training through called the Conscious Leadership Group um, and they talk a lot about uh, and, and, and by the way, so does the author Gay Hendricks, uh, who wrote a great book called The Big Leap, for anyone's interested in some of the stuff we're talking about. But uh, both him and the Conscious Leadership Group, they talk about zone of genius. Have you ever heard the term before? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I love this thinking. You know, essentially, my interpretation of it is, you know, you've got these, these kind of four stages. At the very bottom, you've got the zone of incompetence. This is when we give ourselves, well, let's use work as an example, because most of the people that I work with are, are either uh, business founders, CEOs, or public figures. Um, 
zone of incompetence. That might be the things that we do in work that we just suck at. It's just not for us. <laughs> we want to do whatever we can to not be in that space, to have other people or come up with creative solutions so that we are not in our zone of incompetence. Then you have your zone of competence. This is stuff that uh, we're all right at. It's, it's not the best use of our time, but we can do it. Above that, we've got the zone of excellence. And this is probably the biggest trap. And this is the one that I see is, is the biggest challenge for most people, especially with a lot of high performers uh, that I work with. This is zone of excellence is when we are giving ourselves to things in work that we're really great at, but it doesn't give us energy. We're good at it, but it doesn't create that satisfaction, that fulfillment's there, that, that electricity is not there. The zone of genius, right? This is like what we want to work towards, live as much of as, as possible in. The zone of genius is when we are giving ourselves to things within work that we are great at, right? It's, it's a real expression of our unique gifts and it feels really good to give those gifts. It feels energizing to give those gifts. So how do we live and work in that zone of genius as much as possible? Um, I don't believe that it's about being in that space 100% of time, but I like to work people towards 80% of how they're showing up, especially in work and beyond is in their zone of genius. And what's so interesting about giving ourselves the permission and also like doing the work to make changes so that we can be in our zone of genius the majority of the time is that it's generative. When we're doing work that lights us up, it actually feels enjoyable to do the work and it feels enjoyable to do more of the work. And we take the energy from that work and we're able to bring it to things outside of work. Just like how things outside of work that give us energy, it's generative. We're able to take things that, activities that feel good that we do with our families or with our partners or with our friends we can bring that to our work. So when we really align ourselves with what feels most energizing, we're really willing to get clear about that and make the sacrifices and the commitments to, to live in that way. What we start to see is that our personal lives and our work lives start to feed each other in these really positive ways. And we feel better, right? We're able to enjoy life and work more. And I understand this is, you know, this is um, a very aspirational concept. You know, I'm, 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 you know, Life is challenging, work is challenging, personal life is challenging, but there are practices, very conscious practices that we can do um, to live more in that space than most people do. Well, just listening to this, I am self-referring and thinking, oh, okay, yeah, I, I know there are some changes I need to make. Um, yeah, yeah. Great. it's powerful. <laughs> I love hearing that because, I, and I don't know if, if, if this is your experience or not, I don't want to project this onto you, but what I do hear a lot of the time from people, um, you know, especially high performers and leaders in businesses, there's a feeling that they just need to do those things. Yeah. And that has a lot to do with the way that we're raised and um, understandably, right? Like when we are younger in our careers or whatever, you know, everyone's circumstances are different. Sometimes we don't have a choice. And we have to just, you know, bite the bullet and, you know, take the grit and do the thing. Um, but what I see is that if for too long that becomes the norm, I get it when you're starting something. I get it when circumstances are tough. But for people that are running their own business and they're years into it and that's still their mindset, I like to push back and work with them to look at what changes that what changes they can make to actually either cut that thing or delegate that thing or make that thing feel more exquisite and exciting. <laughs> um, and it starts to create meaningful change. Definitely. So, okay, so we're a couple of years into 111. So if I have not made significant changes, then I will remember this conversation and it will hold me accountable. Question <laughs> <laughs> that I would make because it's, I mean, this is, this is so common and is okay, totally okay. But you know, I always have to say like, what's one thing? You know, what's one thing that you know is energizing in your work that you can prioritize doing more of and just starting with that and just kind of watching how that unfolds. 
Beautiful. Oh, I personally have got so much out of this conversation with you already. It's it's this funny thing, right? Until you're in community or you're reflecting back or getting that guidance, it can feel when you're running a business, you know, it's all on you. You're doing everything at the, at the start, as you said. And then it's so good to just pause and reflect now and then about keeping that. And you can feel the difference, right? It's like what's draining your energy versus what's really lighting you up and energizing because I know when I'm in that zone I can be in the same room for 12 hours straight and not even realize it um (laughs) and I'm like all right I should I should take a break but I can't I'm like so (laughs) (laughs) so I love that I am a, a little bit I've had a couple of readings I am a projector so I don't know if that's necessarily my design I was told I need to work three hours a day that was what <laughs> um but yeah what well, I'd be curious what's your human design well my, my human design is manifesting generator but one thing that I've, I've learned a lot through human design and and a, a lot this applies to projectors and manifesting generators is you know when we are giving ourselves to things that feel exciting and satisfying or energizing, not only do we lose track of time and, you know, we can go for long periods of time, like you described, but when we are prioritizing those things, more good opportunities, like more stuff starts to come to us, right? More starts to sort of flow in to our orbit. And what I love about that is if what we're doing feels like it lights us up, we become a light, we become a beacon of light for more things to come to us. So it also magnetizes, right? It allows for this sort of a magnetizing or manifesting impact to occur. So I just love pointing that out because I see that when people start to make the sacrifices to do more of what we're talking about, it doesn't only feel better, but they see more of it come to them. Yeah, it's like taking, it's like a leap of faith to you taking agency back and really realizing that you are the one making the choices there is no should or have to or you know and then you're like I am creating this and going I would like to structure it how I want you know I'm the leader of this ship at the end of the day um so oh that's that's amazing and really I love um as well Jesse and I can see this in you and uh, many other people I've connected with who have been successful in their respective fields and then had an awakening or learned to meditate and then there's this you know they were really in the commercial world and the relative world then they you know dipped into the unbound and experienced themselves and then they're coming back and merging the conscious and the commercial as one and realizing it's all beautiful and it's all intertwined can you speak to that a bit that that blend of the conscious and commercial when i when I started the big quiet, I made a conscious decision that I wanted it to be a for-profit business, uh, which was controversial to you know some some people, because at the time, med- organizations in meditation were often often nonprofit or kind of donation based, and I just remember being so excited as somebody who uh, really appreciates money. And it really appreciates the exchange of money. I, I remember being so excited to be like, well, how cool would it be if, if I could make money and make build this living and have the service or the product that I'm offering, right, for profit, be something that really serves the most pressing needs of what people want right now. So, you know, to be able to do to be able to offer meditation and community and to charge for that. For me, that felt like, you know, that's like the ultimate, right? It's like, if if it's work that aligns with our gifts, if it's work that has a meaningful impact and it's work that, you know, we can uh, make a living by doing, like that's the trifecta. Um, So I just found that 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 was so much more appealing to me as someone who is interested in making money. It was so appealing to me to look at how the thing that I'm doing, the thing that I'm offering, the product that's you know, being offered is not only generating money, but it's actually really helping people. I just love that framework. Um, is it perfect? No, but um, it felt a lot better to me than other options, <laughs> other things I was doing. Um, and I love seeing when businesses go for this. 
you can, I think, start to, I can start to sense when a business loses connection with or sense of how the product is serving and the money piece just starts to take over, right? There's definitely, there's definitely like that can be felt. A lot of times people will say it's about the service and the good that it does, but it's really about the money, right? So like this is how this stuff can get tricky. But when there's, you know, an, an, an honest marriage of these things, um, I think it's just such a great way to, to operate a business and to bring, you know, that the conscious and the commercial together. Uh, yeah, the, you've raised some really great points there, which is it's all about the, I think, the intention of the founder or creator, right? It's, you know, my experience and my perspective is certainly the world um, needs more people that are, you know, large entities and whatever they do and forces for change and bring the abundance to that. Bring the, you know, if um, if money is a symbol for energy in this in this reality in this dimension let let's you know grow together we have an abundant universe let's be that force right we're we're not going to do that sitting around in poverty are we so you know that's certainly my perspective and um i found myself surrounded by a circle of people that have that resonance of you know let's grow together the more that we grow the more that we can help others grow the more that we can give to everything in our lives give to the world we can yeah I I really feel that and I love um I love that you know we're able to have this conversation as well I think that there's some belief systems around yeah you know this should be you know a non-for-profit or free or whatever it is and those are all beautiful things but um I really can see this rise of um businesses and organizations that are sharing this perspective so it's beautiful I see it too and one other thing that, that I just I wanted to kind of put on the table just to share because it's been feeling really gratifying for me, which has been, you know, how can we find a balance of charging meaningfully and, you know, being, being for-profit entities and also make sure that we're creating access and giving back. Something that's been working really well for me that I wanted to share here was in my leadership coaching uh, practice, I work with 10 private clients at any time, like I mentioned, you know, founders or CEOs or public figures, but I also um, take on uh, about roughly 10 individuals, younger leaders that I mentor for free. And it creates this really great balance. And they tend to be teachers or people who are starting conscious businesses or building communities. And it's, it's this awesome exchange to be able to charge meaningfully with leaders that have those resources and to be able to use some of that to support raising up younger leaders who don't have those resources. Those types of exchanges, I think, can feel really good too. Incredible, Jesse. That's, that's just so – I love that you're doing that. That's just so wonderful. Um, and it's all about that energy exchange, getting that, getting that right. I feel that too. Um, well, you know what? I could talk to you all day, but I'd really love a closing question to be, you know, for someone listening to this, what would be a great step in the right direction and getting started with their conscious journey and or meditating? And if there's a key takeaway or something for them to really remember and just take into their life to come back to, what would that be? I would say... The first thing that comes to mind, which I think is the most tangible, and I honestly right now believe it's it's the, the most meaningful starting point, is to look at what relation where the relationship with the phone can change. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically, like, like I'll just share a couple that really help the people that I work with and coach. Um, turning off notifications that we don't need, right? Really limiting our phones. So we're only getting the most crucial notifications on my phone. I only get notifications for phone calls and for text messages, nothing else. Um, I don't check my phone for the first 30 minutes of every single day. And I, I, I charge it in my, uh, in my bedroom. So I don't, I don't charge it in where I sleep. 
I have an analog alarm clock. So, you know, when I wake up in the morning, just I think it's, it's, it's important for people to know when we sleep at night, our brains are very active and our brains are rebalancing all the neurotransmitters that have been used from the day. So rebalancing cortisol, rebalancing, you know, serotonin, dopamine, feel good chemicals. And when we wake up in the morning, our brains are in their ripest state, ready for creativity, ready for problem solving, ready for presence. How we use the first hour of our day really sets the foundation and creates the mood for how we're going to show up for the next however many hours before we go to sleep. So most people check their phone first thing in the morning, right? Within seconds, we check our phones, all the notifications are spilling in, right? Suddenly in bed with us, we've got work, we've got old friends, we've got news, we've got social media, right? Whatever. Uh, and it turns the brain right into that fight or flight kind of cortisol trigger response, you know, within the first couple moments of the day. So um, if we can create healthy boundaries with our phones, right? Don't charge it in the bedroom so we can have space in the morning. Don't take it off airplane mode until we've you know been awake for at least 30 minutes. Um, creating healthier uh, habits with our devices, like turning off notifications, and creating peaceful home screens. You know, my, my home screen on my phone is, is just, I don't know if you can see that. It's just three things at the bottom there. <laughs> Great. Oh, it's so calming looking at it. You know, it's, we're, we're just, we're not taught how to be in relationship with our devices. And if we start to really create change and make more space from our devices, it creates such a great foundation to deepen into connection with ourselves, to be able to, you know, increase the likelihood of us being able to meditate for a few minutes, right? For us to be able to have the room to be with and feel or release the emotions that we're experiencing, which is so important because our phones tend to push that stuff down. So that's my suggestion, you know, create, creating a healthier relationship with the phone. Oh, couldn't agree more. And we can all relate to this. We are literally attached to our phones. It is filling every spare moment of the day. So even just that conscious decision, creating more space. I noticed this about you as well, by the way, because I messaging you on Instagram, it's like, just these notifications are silenced. I was like, I need to do that. <laughs> so right. yeah, it's the best. I can't recommend it enough for Instagram. Seriously. Okay, definitely going to, and, and also I can relate because I ended up silencing all notifications, my phone to the point where I forgot I was in do not disturb for, you know, the longest time. And I have to say, guys, it really works. So listen to this advice. It really does, yeah. Oh, well, it's been such a pleasure chatting to you today. I know I have personally go, got so much out of this chat. So everyone listening, I'm going to pop in the show notes some resources and links you can get to know a bit more about Jesse and his work and pop in anything we talked about as well. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I love the convo, loved your questions and really appreciated all your reflections. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the 111 Health Podcast. If you loved today's episode as much as we did, feel free to share the love by subscribing and sharing it with anyone you think would benefit from listening. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and TikTok where we announce the release of each new episode. Have a blissful day and see you next time.